starting. We told you last week we wanted you to pray about it, and this week we'll be handing out the, the nomination forms, just these little slips of paper. They're out on the info table. Uh, you can take these, and this week, the follow, following week, and the following week, you can nominate people for deacons, and so we thought it would be good since it had been just like nine years since I'd preached a sermon on, on deacons to uh, talk about what, what you should be looking for in regard to what, uh, nominating deacons. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy Chapter 3, I just had it and it went away for some reason. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 8. So uh, let's stand and I'll read the text. And after I, say, after I read, we'll say, thanks, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. We'll all say, thanks be to God together. Of course, signifying that we're thankful to the Lord to give us scriptures. But also in our hearts and minds, we're saying that the things I learned today are here. I want to be obedient to the challenges that the Holy Spirit gives, not FUD, but the Holy Spirit gives. I want to say yes to. So starting at verse 8. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. God, we ask for your help these moments, these next few minutes as we look at your text and that you would open up our hearts to hear all the things that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us and challenge us with. And I pray that you would help me be uh, truthful and precise and not just teaching but preach uh, that we would learn about deacons of course but more so our hearts would be filled with affections for Jesus for what he's done for us on the cross uh, and for those that aren't believers God that if there's somebody here that's not a Christian that they would hear the good news and they would be saved we pray all these things in Jesus name amen um, if we are going to reach our city if we're going to reach this county uh, especially in today's age, in 2018, then a change of strategy has to happen. So, you know, 50 years ago in modernity, a simple invite to church, not saying that simple invites don't happen anymore, and work, they do. But a simple invite would happen whenever there was a, a kind of a cultural belief in absolute truth. Uh, you can invite an unbeliever to Sunday morning or to a rally or something like that, uh, and they could come and hear the words of God preached. And generally... Uh, they would believe all things are true, and the Lord would use that, that particular time. And in that modern context, 50, 60 years ago, people would get saved. Of course, that can still happen today. However, we are not in a postmodern, but in a post-postmodern culture now, where most that aren't believers don't believe in absolute truth. You're, you can have your truth, but that's mine, etc. Uh, and when that's the case in a culture, uh, when that's the case, sometimes just simple invites don't work when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, but we have to do something different. We have to raise up, all churches need to raise up an army of servants to go and serve their community well, meeting physical needs. And as they meet physical needs, proclaiming the gospel as well, finding out what would be the needs in their, in, their, uh, in their city, from people who are poor all the way to people who are rich uh, and anywhere in between, meeting the physical needs of them. It doesn't have to be some kind of monetary thing. It could be something else. And as they do that, proclaiming the gospel to them. That is 
one of the best ways in our modern context to reach people for Christ? Of course, absolutely. Uh, you could still give a simple invite. But if that's the case, we're going to raise up uh, an army of servants, then this particular text is, is, is very helpful when we think about that because the word diakonos uh, in the Greek, as we see here, deacons, uh, is not, uh, it's been transliterated. So that means we've taken a Greek word and just made it an English word. We just say deacons. But the word diakonos is servant. And so uh, if this is going to be a servant, someone who serves the church well, they serve the needs of the congregation as well as their city or town or wherever they are at large, then that's going to help us in our strategy for reaching not only uh, our city, but York County, South Carolina. So this particular text is particularly helpful for you. If, if you are not a deacon right now at Remedy Church, you, you don't need to think to yourself, this isn't for me. It can absolutely be for you. As a matter of fact, uh, everybody that's a member here at Remedy Church can be a deacon. So we want you to listen uh, to this and, and think through uh, how you can strive for uh, wanting these qualifications to be present in your life. So in the Bible, uh, there's generally two different words that in the Greek are, are pulled, into, uh, pulled into our English language that, you, that use the word servant. There's doulos, which is servant, but more like slave servant, someone who's indebted themselves into someone to pay off a debt. And once they do that, and there's also diakonos. And this second word, diakonos, uh, is used, I think, some 29 times in the New Testament. And most of those times, it just means servant. However, there are three and perhaps a controversial fourth to where it's actually referring to an office, the office. So we can see here that Paul is definitely uh, delineating a new office because we know in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, this saying, starting at verse 1, is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of elder. So Paul in this particular text, is because he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor of the church, helping understand church government, is saying there is absolutely an office that has to happen in every church, and you have to have that office of elder. Uh, so whenever he gets to verse 8, when he says, deacons likewise... Most of all, take this as saying he's creating this second office that's in, in every church. So whenever you're looking at church governance, you're looking at church staff, etc., what has to happen, you, you can have a worship leader, uh, and worship leaders are fine, but worship leaders aren't prescribed as necessary in, in the New Testament church. I'm not saying that we don't want Jordan. Jordan's awesome. We want to keep him, right? Or, but you don't have to have a youth minister. There's lots of staff positions uh, that, that churches create that are fine but aren't necessary. But if you're going to be a true ecclesia, a true church, a true called out gathered ones, you have to have for sure two offices, elders and deacons. You have to have those. And so at verse eight, when it says deacons likewise, we've transliterated that uh, to just say deacons, but we, we should, it would be best when we get to verse one, it says the office of, of elder, that was elder or pastor or overseer or whatever. When we get to verse eight, you have a second group of office, which is servants. And so clearly when it's, we see servants, then we know, oh, these people are the servants of the church. But nevertheless, they are the, the servant leaders. So I've heard it said this way. Um, in, in verses 1 through 7, you have the, the, the elders that are the servant leaders. Um, and in verse 8, when you get to deacons, you have the lead servants. So there's lots of servants in the church, but the, the deacons would be the, the lead servants in the church. Uh, now... Um, when we, when we read this, deacons likewise must be dignified. You get into a list of qualifications, which we're going to go through. But um, before we do that, I want to uh, go over to Acts chapter 6 with just a, a small, brief, uh, brief look at 
um, what would be largely as understood to be the first uh, set of deacons that were chosen. The first set of deacons that were chosen. So if you go to Acts chapter 6, and when we were going through the book of Acts some, you know, what, tw- two years ago, uh, we're in chapter 6, uh, we read this t- particular text. Um, this is largely understood to be what would be the first uh, s- section of deacons or, or council of deacons that were, body of deacons, whatever you want to call them, that were chosen. Now, what was going on is uh, the, the, the apostles who were serving a- in a function of what would be... Uh, for us in the modern day, the, the elders. So the elders are, are the primary ministers of the word. And the, the, the apostles who were doing what would be the ministry of the word in Jerusalem, they were doing that. And a, and a, uh, a need arose from those who were Greek-speaking widows. You've got kind of two sets of widows, Greek-speaking and Jewish. And a, and a need arose where the Greek-speaking widows weren't getting the daily distribution of bread like the, the Jewish widows. And so men were called upon to serve that role. You can see it starting in verse 1. Now these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek, arose against the Hebrews, that's the Jews, because the widows uh, in both categories were being neglected in the daily distribution. So they, they had a daily distribution where everybody had everything in common. We saw in Acts chapter 2, and they had all this food together. And those who were Greek-speaking weren't getting all the bread and food that they should have like everybody else. Uh, and so the apostles, who were serving in the capacity of what would be the elders, pastors, uh, came up with a solution. And in the 12, summoned, that's the 12 disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, this sounds pretty, pretty strong, like, <laughs> we're too good for this, but let's just understand what's going, say, what they're saying. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve, that would be serve, diakonos, tables. Uh, so they're saying, God has, God has gifted us and empowered us and entrusted us with the primary function of the ministry of the word. And so, uh, what, uh, serving in an elder capacity. And so, if we stop doing that to serve the tables, then we won't be doing this particularly important function, which for us helps us understand it is an important function weekly for elders to be able to minister the word to the congregation. And they're saying if we, if we stop doing that to serve tables, then we won't be fulfilling what God's called us to, to the ministry of the word. So the solution, therefore, is, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, which is why we at Remedy Church allow, not allow, we want to stay biblical, want the congregation to be the ones who pick the deacons. So you can see it here. Therefore, pick from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, whom we will appoint this duty. So the elders do the appointing, but the congregation does the picking. And so when that happens, uh, they will now become the, the servants or the, the serve tables, the table waiters. They will be the ones who bring the food to both the, the Hellenists and the Hebrew widows to make sure that they're being served in the daily distribution, which frees up the apostles, or what we could say the elders, the pastors, to minister the word. And, the, uh, and so now we've got spiritual needs being met and physical needs being met um, together. So it's the body functioning as the body should. And then you can see verse 4. So when we do that, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Uh, They're not saying we're just above serving tables. God has called us to preach and we would never serve a table. That's for y'all. That's not what's going on. Instead, it's, it's a showing of the multiple gifts that the Lord gives into a congregation. And as these minister the word, these serve tables and they both both are important, meet the physical and spiritual needs of the church. So you can see what happened in verse 5. Everybody was pleased, the whole gathering. And they chose these particular people. You can see in verse 5 and verse 6, they set them before the apostles and they prayed. They laid their hands on them. This was in the 
the appointing of the, of the deacons. And verse 7, what was the result of this, of, of the, the idea that the elders, apostles had? Well, the Lord blessed it. The Lord used it whenever both were being done. You can see in the word of the Lord continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem because they were all still just in Jerusalem at this time. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Even outsiders, even those who were outside, who weren't Christians yet, became believers. So it worked. Now, as we get into 1 Timothy, this is Paul writing to a pastor in Timothy, giving him specific church polity instructions or congregation uh, governance. This is the way it looks like. And in verse 1 through 7, he talks about elders or pastors and what, are the, what it looks like for them to be appointed, what it looks like for them to qualify. And we get to verse 8 to deacons. And so we're going to walk through these qualifications here in verse 8 uh, pretty quickly. Uh, and this is going to serve two purposes, right? One, every Christian should have these things in their life. If you're a believer in Jesus, even if you're never a deacon, you don't just say, ah, forget these things. They don't apply to me. Yes, they do. They apply to everybody. These are, these are descriptions, character descriptions of believers, and every single one of us should have these things in our life, whether you're ever a deacon or not. Two, every person that's a member in here can be a deacon at Remedy Church. So you should want to have these things in your life so that you can serve your church um, would the Lord call you. So uh, you can see here, Deacons, likewise, likewise is a key. We're going to come back in a minute on that. Must be dignified. Must be dignified. So the first qualification you can see here is, boom, one number one, dignified. Um, and this means worthy of respect. This is co- combining the ideas of gravity and dignity. So we're serious and sober-minded about the task that the Lord would call us to. And, and if you, for the six that have been, uh, that are deacons right now at Remedy, they know it's a serious deal. Um, to, to meet the needs, the physical needs of people, not just in our church, but in the great community, um, takes a lot of prayer, takes a lot of thought, and, and it takes a lot of compassion. And so there must be a gravity about it. must be a seriousness about it. There must be a dignity of it that not only they have for the, for the office, but that, they, that they, um, they give to people as they serve them, that they, they serve them so that they will maintain the person that's being served, their dignity. You can see the next one is not double-tongued. And this is just the idea of saying something twice, and the first time saying it one way, the second time saying it another way, which seems uh, deceitful. You're saying it two different ways. We, we don't want that. This is obviously hypocrisy. We don't want people who, who say things certain ways to one group, but say things another way to another group because they're in different companies. They just they speak the truth in love, of course, but they speak the truth. Um, Three, not addicted to much wine. You could put a little parenthetical or anything there. Uh, there shouldn't be uh, a pattern of ongoing addiction in the life of someone. Now, this is different language than what you would see in verse 3 for the elder. It says, not a drunkard. Uh, and here it says, addi- not addicted to much wine, which just means this. Um, in your freedoms that you are allowed as believers to practice, that you practice moderation. And if you can't practice moderation and you have an addiction, you have disqualified yourself for the office of deacon. For now. For now. It just means by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, with accountability and people that love you, you overcome that addiction because Christ has already overcome everything on the cross. And then maybe one day you will be qualified. But not now. Not now. You would not be addicted to much wine. One commentator says, it would be a great disparagement to any man, you could put, or woman, especially to a Christian, in one in office, and it unfits men for business, uh, and opens the door to many temptations if he has this in his life, a, an addiction to something. Uh, the next one, verse four, I'm sorry, number four, verse eight, uh, 
This is another qualification, but this particular qualification actually gives us a lens into uh, what would be one of, the, one of the roles of the deacon, what would be one of the things that the deacon would do. We can see it there in verse 8. Not greedy for dishonest gain. This particular qualification of deacon leads us into one of the functions of the deacons or the servants of the church, the office of servant, which is that they look over and they care for, uh, they're the primary holders and leaders of the resources of the church uh, in, in regard to benevolence. So benevolence is just a, a, a compiling of, of money that the church has in order to meet the physical needs of not only the people in their church, but people outside the church. And here at Remedy Church, and in like many churches, the deacons are the ones, the, the, the office of servants are the ones that oversee the benevolence fund here at Remedy Church. And I would just say, uh, at Remedy, this office is taken very seriously. Uh, this particular function is taken very seriously by the, by the Remedy Church deacons. As a matter of fact, um, the beginning of the year, they petitioned for more money. And so uh, we thought about it and prayed about it. And not having the dinner portion of the corporate prayer for the entire year in order to free up another couple grand to put into the budget was because the deacons care so much about this and want so badly to meet the physical needs of the church and the city at large. Uh, they ask for it. So it's just a, it's an illustration of the deep love that the deacons that we have currently at Remedy Church care for the people at Remedy. Um, and so... Uh, this, this is a, a need uh, or, a, or a function of the deacons here is that uh, they, can't have, they can't be greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, if they were, as they oversee the money and the benevolence at the church, uh, they could be tempted to take the money themselves or embezzle it for their own funds or, or uh, use it in some way to, to benefit themselves. And so they can't be greedy for dishonest gain. The next one, in, in the verse, next verse, verse 9 says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, when we get to this, hold the mystery of the faith, uh, one of the key differences, because if you, if you hold verses 1 through 7, the elder, and 8 through 13 together, you just compile those two lists together, you'll see that these two lists are very similar. They're, they're character issues in regard to pastors, elders, and deacons, and they're very similar in their nature and how they describe the character of these particular people, with one key difference. In the office of elder, they must, as a qualification, must be able to teach. That able to teach component or qualification is not in... It's not in the office of deacon. So a deacon doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be able to teach uh, in a public manner like what we're doing or in a private. And, and maybe a, for our, you know, our context, community group or something like that. Now, they can have the gift, and that's perfectly fine if they do. It's not like we, deacons can only be people that can't teach. It's not, that's not, that's not right. It, if they have the gift of teaching, that's fine, but they don't have to have the gift of teaching. So when we see this particular one right here, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, this doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be quite gifted at communicating the gospel. It means that they have to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they, they are believers, and they hold it with a clear conscience, meaning that they have a good grasp of the gospel and the behavior or the way they live their life is consistent with, with the gospel. It's consistent with what Christ has done. So when we see this right here, hold the mystery of the faith, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll explain, I think, what this means, um, this mystery of the faith. Now, if you've read the New Testament and you've been a Christian for a long time, you're probably familiar with it. Uh, but I'll read from the Apostle Paul himself in three other books when he uses this language, what he means when he says the mystery of the faith. 
uh, and it'll give you some insight into what he's talking about here. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So now we're getting some insight of what he talks about the mystery, that at one point there was no inclusiveness of Gentiles and to the good news of the gospel, but now there is an inclusiveness. Now there's more to it. I'll read some more. Romans 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So there's another place where we see it's been, just, it's been hidden, but now it's revealed. And one other place in Colossians 1 uh, brings it out even more, I think. Colossians 1, 26, 27. This mystery, was been, this mystery hidden for ages and generations, now revealed to his saints. Uh, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. And now we're going to get an understanding. So the, the mystery is... The Gentiles weren't included for ages and generations, but, and it's been hidden, but now it's been revealed that not only uh, those who are Jewish, but those who are Gentiles can all be included into the family of God, of course, by faith. And here is the riches of those who, who by faith trust in Christ when Christ put it, put, gave his own life on the cross, willingly died for the forgiveness of our sins. When he did that, there's some riches, there's some benefits that come with that. Namely, here's one among hundreds, the riches of the glory of this mystery, the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So different than the Old Testament saints where God was with them, what would be the, the riches of this mystery is that it's not God with me, kind of beside me, walking with me like in the Old Testament, but now his residence isn't next to me proximity-wise, but now he has taken up residence literally in me, which is completely different. And when it was beside me, my ability to walk forward in sanctification, my ability to keep the law, my ability to please God was completely absent. And therefore, there was a stored up wrath continually for all people. But now, God knew that. And now, in Christ, when we trust in him, God takes up residence in us. <clears throat> and Christ, because he's in us, has kept the law perfectly for us. And Philippians 1, 6, this great promise of he who began a good work in you, that's your salvation, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, is absolutely true. You will be sanctified one day. You will be fully made perfect one day because it isn't God with us anymore. It's God in us who empowers us by the Spirit to live a life, of what we'd say, of a clear conscience, where we can, um, our behavior is consistent with the gospel. Now we're able to live this out. This is one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel. There is. That in Christ, we are empowered by the Spirit, which has been a mystery until now. We are empowered by the Spirit to live a life that glorifies Him. And so an office of deacon, in the office of deacon is, he holds to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. He believes and trusts in, in Christ that even though it was uh, held and mystery and, and being hidden, now it has been revealed. And he's trusted in Christ and he's become a believer. And now he lives in light of that consistent with the good news. In other words, it's a believer in Christ radically pursuing sanctification in their life. This is, this is the qualification for deacon. 
He has to not just be kind of a Christian in name only. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, so do the demons, <laughs> right? They know he exists. We're not talking about belief that he exists, but it's a trusting in him for the, for the salvation of your soul. And because of that, my life has radically changed. It's different. And I live exclusively for Christ in order to glorify him and bring him glory in my life. So that's, that's what we see here as a qualification. That should not just be, uh, just, it's just so obvious, right? That should not just be for the exclusive leaders of the church that live that way. Every believer in Jesus should live that way. Every believer in Jesus should never be able to get over the fact that God saved them from the depths of Sheol. So, number five, right? Hold the mystery of the conscience, the clear conscience. Uh, verse 10, number six, let them also be tested first. So number six, they should be tested. Qualification is they should be tested. Uh, why? So that they can prove themselves blameless. We can see that. And let them also be tested. Then let them also serve as deacons and they prove themselves blameless. Don't take blameless as perfect. No one is perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. You'll never be perfect, right? So this is in context of what we just read, someone who's doing number five. Someone who is radically living out their sanctification according to the gospel. And they could be tested. For here at Remedy, the way we test is we take all the nominations. And then after that, whenever we, we have four this particular time, as I said, we'll put those four forward. And then we don't vote that day. Instead, we, we, let, that, we let that be out in the congregation for at least two weeks. And if anybody in the congregation that knows these particular four that we've put forward, and everybody should, you should in those two weeks come forward. And this is the tier, period of testing where you say, uh, you know what, I know this guy, and you don't know, but I know. He kicks his dog at night. He's, he's, he's terrible. He even kicks cats, which would be fine, really. It's not a real sin to kick cats. I'm just kidding. But, like, he's not, he's not nice to his neighbor. He, he doesn't do these particular things. He, I've seen him interact in community group or, you know, the, at his job, it's known that he is or she is these things. My whole point is we're, we are trying to, at Remedy Church, be as biblical as we can to make sure that we Follow every single one of these qualifications and everything that the Lord spells out in the Bible. And for us, that's the way we, we do that, is uh, they would go through a period of testing. So once we have our nominations and put them forward, they would be out there for a week or two, and then we would have our vote. So the nomination of deacons takes a good month, right? We, we let you do nominations for a few weeks. We do the period of testing, and then we have the final congregational vote. Lord willing, if we put forward four people, there's no like coming back and saying, this guy... Or girl is a secret, you know, demon. Like, we know crazy things about them, right? Lord willing, that wouldn't happen because we would, uh, the church would nominate uh, four people, as it says in verse, Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 3 or 4, four, 5, men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit. Um, so anyway, now we get to, now we get to the fun verse. Now we get to the fun verse. Verse 11 their wives likewise. Their wives likewise. There's two possible ones here, right? Can women be deacons? Yes or no? That's, that's, it's, it's, that's the only possible answers. I don't think there's a third one. Uh, their wives likewise. And those first three words, uh, their wives likewise, help us a ton, I think, to answer this particular question. All three of those uh, three words actually give us a ton of insight on whether women should be deacons or not. Now, let me just go ahead and, and just state from the get-go, men that love Jesus that are super conservative and would be considered complementarian, which means uh, complementarian is the view that God has created men and women equal in dignity, value, and worth, 
So they're absolutely no different in regard to their dignity, their value and worth in the eyes of God, in the eyes of everybody, but in regard to their roles that God has made us different. It shouldn't take us very long to agree with that. Like, yes, we're different. Um, and so in the, uh, in the home, in the family, and in the church, God has given men and women to complement each other in their functionality and roles. Dignity, value, and worth, image of God, the exact same. When it comes to the roles in the family and church, they're different. They're different. And so here at Remedy Church, as complementarians, we say, uh, as we've read verses 1 through 7, the office of elder, uh, for those that would be uh, pastors, for those that would be the ministers of the word, that should be reserved for men only. But when it comes to deacons, um, we think this is open to women. I'm going to give you my reasons why. Um, So when we see their wives likewise, there's a lot in that to help us understand textually why I would make that call. Why I would say, even though there's tons of men uh, throughout all 2,000 years that have been on both sides that are complementarians that say women can uh, not be deacons. And there's men that are complementarians that say women can be deacons. So I'll just say from the get-go... Men that love Jesus that are complementarians fall on both sides of this. You know, Piper on one side, Grudem on the other, uh, just as modern-day examples. Uh, and both men are highly respected. Uh, let me give you the reasons why I think women can. Their wives likewise. Huge. Reason number one, the word there, not in the original. Not in the original. So uh, when we see there and we're showing some kind of possession of the previous people, like the previous people, and we were in verses 8 through 10, we're thinking, oh, that's the men, uh, that's the men deacons, the there, then if, if, that, if that they're supposed to be there, then we would say, oh, then it's got to be wives, right? That's the only thing that makes sense for that word wives, because the word wife, it, gune, can be translated either wives or women. So you wouldn't say they're women likewise, that wouldn't make sense. But when we take out the word there, not even supposed to be there, then uh, it's just, then therefore they're just supposed to be wives likewise. Well, that changes it. That changes it because there's no possession of the previous people. So it just stands on its own now as either, the the word wives in the original is gune. So it's gune likewise. Now, gune, in English, we have two words. We have wives and we have women. In Greek, they have one word, which makes it very difficult, but nevertheless, they have one word, gune. And according to context, you either translate it wives or you translate it women. Now, um, every woman is a wife, but not every wife. Is, no, I say that right? I didn't say that right. Every wife is a woman. I ah, forget it. You know what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to try to explain it. But my whole point is, according to context, um, not every woman's a wife. So uh, the, point, the context here, though, when it says wives likewise, this can be women. It can be women. So it could be women likewise, and you keep going, which means it could be women deacons. So since we're in the context of the conversation of deacons, it could be women, and I'm I'm supplying the word deacons. That's a supplication that I'm making in some kind of translation. It could be written, or it could be read, women deacons likewise, because the word's just gune. The word's just gune. So it could be Women. Now, it could be wives, but I think it's women. And here's the, maybe the most important one, likewise. Likewise. That's a pretty big word there whenever you take it in context. If you look at verse 8, look what it says. Deacons likewise. Now, the word likewise there for deacons in verse 8 is clearly Paul delineating a new office. Because we know in verses 1 through 7, he's given us elders. 
And in verse 8, when he says, deacons likewise, he's making this major transition in writing and saying, new office, new thing, new, new, new stuff right here. And so, deacons likewise, when we get to verse 11, we can say the same things. Deacons likewise, presuming he's been talking about uh, men, then he puts right here, women deacons likewise, with, with new qualifications for women and the things that they'll do. Now, I'm going to give a textual reason why I think it's also, but here, Without question, it could be women deacons likewise must be, and then there's some qualifications there. That's how I read it. I think that's what Paul is saying, um, especially with this last particular point. This is, I think, pretty, pretty textually important when you look at it. If it is wives of deacons, it would seem like if Paul's going to list out these special qualifications on the wives of the deacons who are the lead servants... Why would he not also give special qualifications for the wives of the elders in the previous section? Why would he just leave that part out? But for the deacons, say, the elders' wives, no qualifications whatsoever, doesn't matter. But oh, the deacons, those servants' wives, those wives are crazy. We got to really get specific on them. It would seem like it's just a glaring absence in verses 1 through 7 that there's nothing written about the the elders' wives. And so if that's the case, then it makes more sense that this isn't wives, but yet women, women deacons. This, this is what makes the most sense as I read it. Again, there's people on the other side, and they have, I think, decently unconvincing arguments. But um, nevertheless, uh, there are some. But there, there we are. Their wives, likewise, uh, should be, go ahead and put up. I put wives, women's, according to however you want to pick it, right? I, obviously, I think it's women deacons, um, but you can say... Wives, if that's where you are, which is totally fine. I, I encourage you to just do your research yourself. Don't take er- anything ever that I say to be absolutely true. Um, unless I say Jesus is Lord, you should just always believe that. Um, uh, but nevertheless, I'm going to read it and translate it and teach it being women deacons likewise. And then there's four qualifications in that pr- verse 11 that he says. They should be dignified. The exact same thing that he says in verse 8, uh, dignified. We already know what that means. And then not slanderers. Let me, uh, yeah, not slanderers. I'm going to read these out and then, then read some theologians. Not slanderers. Um, this just means in the, in the NASB it says not gossips. Uh, so not given to share bits of information that were given to you in a private manner that shouldn't be told publicly. Uh, they're not gossips. That they're sober-minded. This can also be translated temperate uh, in the New, New American Standard. Uh, just, just self-controlled, not enslaved to excess. They, they can practice moderation. Faithful in all things. Uh, this faithful in all things means that as they walk in, in their faith, uh, as they live out their lives, they're not, their ministry that they have is not in a disorderly manner. But instead, they're faithful in all things. Now, um, there are some, some theologians through the ages that I think make the, co- the case that uh, women should be deacons. Uh, the Apostle Paul would be my first one. So I, I said there's 29 times the word diakonos is used. I think it's 29 uh, in, in the New Testament. Uh, three, and maybe that fourth, uh, there's four where it's talking about the office. Two here in this text. One in Philippians 1 where he's talking about their elders and deacons. And the other one is in Romans chapter 16 where Paul talks about a woman deacon in chapter 16, verse 1, uh, named Phoebe. You can see here in chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister. So Paul had never been to Rome. He wants to go to Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome. He writes this massive 
systematic theology. And as he's finished in chapter 16, he's given some closing kind of things. Like all of Paul's letters, here's my closing kind of remarks. I love you. This is good. You know, those kinds of things. But here, as he, he enters it, or starts it, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. That's diakonos. That's, I think, referring to the office. Not, now, it could just be servant. Again, it could... Sometimes it's just servant, diakonos, it's just servant in the Bible. But here I think he's referring to office, a diakonos of the church at Sincrea, however you pronounce that. Um, so I think that that's first the Apostle Paul uh, in the New Testament giving us examples of, of an, the office of deacon. I'll read you some other more contemporary. Calvin uh, held to women deacons. For diakonesses, women deacons were appointed not to soothe God by chantings or unintelligible murmurs and spend the rest of the time in idleness, but to perform a public ministry of the church toward the poor and labor with all zeal and diligence, the offices of charity. This would be love. Uh, Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, It would be a great mercy if God gave us the privilege of having many sons who preached the gospel and many daughters who were the eminent uh, in the church as teachers, diakonesses, missionaries, and the like. Uh, John MacArthur, I found this uh, intriguing, John MacArthur. The office of deacon, diaconess is clearly implied. The likewise in verse 11 ties the qualifications of these women to have already given the office of elder and deacon. So he says that uh, there's a textual reason to say that. In verse 11, Paul didn't refer to those women as diaconesses because diaconess has no feminine form. So that's why he didn't say diaconess as women. That's why he said gune because there's no feminine form of the word diaconess and he didn't need to. He could just put gune and we would know that means women deacons. During the first century of the church, the role of Woman servant, diakonos, was to care for fellow believers who were sick for the poor, for strangers passing through, and the in prison. They were also responsible for helping baptize and disciple new women converts and instruct children and, and other women. So this was a, uh, a role of what the diakonos would do. And then even, of course, the obligatory John Piper. God calls men to bear the primary leadership and teaching office in the church elders, but that he calls men and women to a broad array of ministries, including the body of el- deacons elected by the congregation. Now, let's just take one kind of Big picture step back to the book of Acts where we all started in the beginning. And remember, when we're looking at the book of Acts, um, we saw when, when, the elder, when the elders, apostles appointed these particular deacons, three kind of things happened. One, uh, the deacons started serving according to the word. There were people who need, they love their neighbor as themselves. And as the word prescribes, they served in the way that the word prescribes. Number two, uh, they supported the ministry of the word. So the apostle elders could continually preach the word uh, because they... they served in that function as the deacons, they supported the administration of the word. And that's what deacons would do in any church. They, they free up the elders with servant responsibilities. Not that the elders can't do it still. Of course they do. So they can focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And they serve the church through service. And that supports the ministry of the word. So here we see they served according to the word. They support the administration or the preaching of the word. And they also, because the deacons in that particular Act 6, um, helped with the administration to both the Greek and the Jews, they provided now a reunification between these widows to where they were combative with each other because some were not getting the daily distribution. When the deacons stepped in and there was an, an equality now brought there, it reunified the Greek and Jewish widows. And so they, they, they also unified the body now around the administration and the word. So we see in that first century, Acts 6, the deacons did many other things, but they did certainly served according to the word. They uh, supported the administration of the word and they unified the body back around the word. Now, 
There's nothing in the New Testament that precludes women from being able to do that. As a matter of fact, there's multiple examples of women doing these things continuously. So even as we look at the first set of deacons, and though they were all men, I don't think that it necessarily uh, excludes women from the office of deacon, where Paul, in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, lists Phoebe as one of maybe the first deacons. All right. Um, back to verse 12. Let deacons, so we're, we're continuing now in more qualifications. Let the deacons each be husband of one wife, husband of one wife. Uh, I don't have time to explain this. There's lots of things that could go. There's at least three different possibilities. Remember, uh, in the Greek, there's just one word for husband, for, for, uh, there's gune, which can be wife, or woman. There's also one word, aner, which can be man or husband. So according to context, it says husband of one wife, but could also be translated, uh, if we're just going to use man and woman, uh, a one woman man. It could just be that as well. So uh, when we read husband of one wife, because it could just be one woman man, there's at least three different ways to understand husband of one wife. I'll give you those, and I, I won't explain where I am. Uh, that should be fun for you. The first one is obviously, in the first century, polygamy was rampant. So it could just be saying, no polygamists. The husband of one wife, not multiple wives, but one. You can only have one. That's it. That's the way God's always intended it. He didn't marry Adam to a bunch of Eves. You know, just one. He only got one. And we all know that's all we can handle anyway. Um, I'm just kidding. So, kind of. So, uh, the second one is a one-woman man. The, the second way to understand husband and one wife is one-woman man, meaning this particular man is faithful to this particular woman that he's married to right now. He's not an adulterer. He's a one-woman man, and he is faithful to her. Uh, the third way that you can understand it is uh, a little more, little more closely tied to the one-woman man, which could be he's never been divorced. He's never been divorced. He's a husband of one wife in his life. Now, those are the three possibilities. It, there could be more, but those are at least the three different understandings of what that could mean. Um, anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, managing, I will say this though, just because it says husband of one wife doesn't preclude women, right? So a single man still could be a deacon. So it could very easily also just be, you know, a, a wife of one husband, and it could be a one man, woman. It could easily just be understood that. So he, he uses husband and one wife in that phrasing, I think, because he used it in verses one through seven. But I don't think that just means, oh, women can't be deacons. I don't think that's what it means. Because he's already, as we saw in verse 11, I think, totally included women as deacons. All right, back to verse, uh, wherever we are, 12. Uh, husband and wife, yeah, 12. And then the second part of that is managing their children and their own household well, which brings us to that last one. Managing their children and their own households well. Uh, and it's very simple here. Um, they must have a well-ordered household, must have a healthy family life. Uh, and as we see in verse 5, if he can't manage his own household, how can he be able to care for God's church? It's just really simple. If a man or a woman has, has uh, this kind of microcosm experience in their family, their, their first family, their 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 family they're in, if he can lead, serve, shepherd, whatever, that small family of, you know, nine, that's normal, nine, like us, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, if he can do that, that small family, well then when it expands to the greater family of God's family, you know, 100, 200, or whatever it is, if he can, if he can do that in the microcosm, then he or she should be able to do that in the larger God's church family. Make sense? And so that's, that's what he's saying, he manages his own household well. 
If he's not able to do that, what would make us think that he can do it in the larger church context? And if he does do this well, then he's, and he's not able to do that, he's neglecting them, and he, shouldn't be, he or she shouldn't be a deacon. So um, manage his own household well. And then it says in verse 13, for those who serve, diakonos, for those who serve well as deacons, so those who, who diakonos as diakonos uh, well, they gain a good standing for themselves. The, the gain a good standing shouldn't be understood as like a, they, they look good in front of the eyes of the congregation to be able to step in stone towards elders. I don't think that's the intention of what he's saying. It could be, obviously, that deacons uh, serve well and become elders, but I don't think that's what he's saying. Instead, uh, one commentator says, Paul more than likely is not calling for a succession of positions, uh, deacons to elders, but just saying that those who serve as deacons are commit- to be commended for their service to God and his church because it is weighty work. It is weighty work to... Uh, serve your church and then in a large way serve the community at large. Uh, it's, a, it's a weighty task and it certainly takes a good bit of time and, and thought and prayer to be able to do it. And so those who do it, they gain good standing. So they should be, it should be thought of as and commended for people that serve the church well. Now, I want to close with a couple, couple challenges for us then. All right. Number one, as we've gone over this and we've said, if you're a member at Remedy Church and you are a man or a woman, then you are, you are uh, eligible in some respects to be a, a deacon here at Remedy Church. And if that's the case, then I want you to, number one, search your heart and say, uh, are these things present in my life? Are these qualities present in my life? And if they're not, search your heart and say, Lord, the things that aren't, show me and reveal to me so that I can, I can pursue these things in my heart and life. I want to pursue these things in my heart and life. That's the first thing. The second thing, even if you never become a deacon at Remedy Church and serve in the office of elder, pray that the Lord would let these things be in your, present in your life. These things should be present in your life because you're a Christian, not because you have a desire to be known as a leader in the church and to assume to an office. If you assume to an office, it's okay. I think what he says in verse 1 uh, it is the same for deacons when he talks about elders. If anybody, he's saying it's trustworthy. If any aspires to the office of elder, he desires a noble task. If anybody aspires to the office of deacon, they aspire to a noble task. I don't think it's wrong to aspire for the purposes of serving. I think it's wrong to aspire for the purposes of having power. That's not why you would want to be a deacon. But it is okay to be a deacon to want to aspire to serve your church and glorify Jesus because he's gifted you and you have a heart to want to do it. So challenge one, pursue these things because you very well could be a deacon at Remedy. Challenge two, even if you don't, pursue these things because you're a believer in Jesus. Challenge three, pray for the current and future deacons here at Remedy Church. Please pray for them. They do deal with weighty matters. They do deal with families that have uh, some complex things that they have to think through. They have to have uh, very good problem-solving skills to be able to serve families very well. The, the issues they deal with aren't simple. And so pray that the Lord would fill them with the Spirit and that the Lord would uh, help them make wise decisions to serve the church. Because as we've said, um, an army of servants really is what's necessary if we're going to reach this city in this county. An army of servants that love the people, truly love the people here that, that we eat and play and work with. Now, let me conclude with this. This is my conclusion. If we go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, 
we see the ideal, I mean, there's other things you could say, but we see a picture of an ideal church community. An ideal church community of what the Lord wants and desires to be present, I think, in every local expression of the church. We see that in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. They, all the people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The people gathered in some respect to where they would be under the ministry of the word. And they, as they did this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship of the breaking bed, and the prayers. So they got together for ministry of the word. They got together through what would be... Uh, uh, Bab- I'm sorry, Lord's Supper, and it says the Fellowship of Breaking Bread. I think that could also be what would be the kind of the equivalent of our community groups. They were operating on a Sunday morning and during the week experience of what the Lord called them to be as a church. And when they did that, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God blessed them and used them. The Holy Spirit was clearly present, tangibly, visibly. And all who believed what happened in the, in, inside the congregation, all who believed, had, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as anybody had need. If there was a need in the congregation, they met the need. When they were filled with the Spirit and operating as a church community, they should. Anybody that had a need, was, that need was being met. And further, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor, look at that, with all people. So even outside of the church community in the first century, people looked in on that and they had favor with the unbelievers. So much so, as the church community was operating as it should, they had favor and the Lord added from the outside to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this is an ideal a very ideal, in a good way, because it's real, right? There's sometimes a, some kind of uh, contrast, unnecessary, between realism and idealism. Here, we have, we have the, com- the most beautiful combination of both. This is what's really happened in the most ideal manner. The church community functions as it should. That's the ideal. That should be present here. That we serve and love each other well, we care for each other's needs, and we do it in such a way that we have favor with the outside world because they say, wow. Look at how they love. And so much so that even they are added to our number. There's a disruption in the ideal in Acts chapter 2 when we get to Acts 6. Acts chapter 2 is supposed to keep happening. And all of a sudden, inside the church, a disruption happens, which breaks the ideal of Acts 2 when you get to Acts 6. And what happens in that is the, the disruption happens where Greek-speaking widows were not getting the same as the Jewish-speaking. What was the ideal in Acts 2 all of a sudden broke down. And so they, they wanted to return to what would be the ideal in Acts chapter 2. So what do they do? They appoint deacons. So now they have two sets of people, elders, deacons, apostles, servants there, that are meeting both the physical and spiritual needs of the church. And what does God do? Say, well, you just guessed? How'd you get it right? Well, no, what does he do? It tells us in chapter 6, verse 7, what God did. And I think chapter 6, verse 7, is just a summation of what we just read in Acts 2, 42 and following that it, it keeps going. It says in Acts 6, 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I think what he's just saying is there, the idea of what happened in Acts chapter 2, 42 and following started back up again once that happened. Once that disruption was broken and everybody was being cared for and everybody was being loved and they said, look at how they love and they found favor. And then it says, and a great many of the priests became obedient. That's people outside, not Christians. The people outside the Jewish faith who were rebellious against Christians and hated them, those who were Jewish, they started becoming Christians again. So a return to Acts chapter 2 happened in Acts chapter 7 
whenever the deacons were added. Which just means for us then, if we're going to say that, that's what we want in our church. We want our church to be operating at an Acts 2.42 through following section, or uh, function. And so the additional deacons that are happening, the current deacons and the elders, we need to have these things so that we, we care for each other in such a deep manner. We meet everyone's needs. And when that happens, we find favor in the outside world. And they say, look how they love. And when that happens, we're actually fulfilling the Great Commission by reaching them, meeting their physical needs and their greatest need, which is their spiritual need for Christ, telling them the gospel, and they become believers, and they're added to the number. So this, this office of deacon is not a small thing. It's not a small thing at all. I think it's absolutely integral to the way we fulfill the Great Commission. And so when we, when we look at this and we nominate people, we're fulfilling the Great Commission. In a, in a definite manner, we're fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we're so thankful for how you uh, have given us the order of your church so that there's no question for us infinite, I'm sorry, finite beings who are, who are so prone to make mistakes. There's no wondering, like, how does God want his church ordered? We know. Thank you for being so gracious to tell us in your word that there's, there's office of elder, office of deacon, Uh, and how those things look, and how those things function, so that we can be the most obedient to the Great Commission. That's what we want, Lord. We want to see those who don't know you have their lives changed forever and be invited into the family of God. And we want to be obedient that we love each other the way the family of God should love each other. And so God, raise up an army of servants at Remini Church to meet the needs of our church in this city. And I do pray, God, that you would give us wisdom as we think through who would be the best deacons uh, here at Remedy, the best servants, lead servants, to continue the ministry of serving this church. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as-